Hello and welcome to episode 134 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies for the casual spike. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, I have nothing to report. I made pizza, I mowed my lawn. We have we have lots of content. Let's kick it over to the Godfather Dave Harbarger. I'm introducing him for you this time. You can't stop me. What's up, Godfather? I didn't get to do my interruption thing. Good. We're moving so I'm fast. Glad. We don't have, we don't have time for interruptions. Why not? We only have time for packing boxes because you're moving, my friend. Well, that's all right. Nobody cares about that. This week's episode is going to be a spicy one. Is that right, Stan? Oh man, I think maybe. Yeah, it's. Covered in saffron, um, allspice berries, just some cracked black pepper. Harissa. Yeah. Raz al-Hanu. Chipotle peppers. <laughs> mm-hmm. On this week's episode, we're asking one of the most difficult questions facing modern players today. What if we ban some cards? <laughs> like, what would happen if cards that are currently allowed in play are just suddenly revoked, taken away from us? Not allowed. What would happen then? Hmm? What would you do? What would any of us do? What would Shane do? That's what we're talking about today. What would Shane do? I'll tell you what, I've got a lot of takes on this. What would I do? To be clear, we're talking about what we think the next five cards to be banned will be, right? Well, hold on. That's the specific topic of the episode, yes. I, I don't remember being asked what I thought would be banned. We asked, we asked the nation what would be banned, what should be banned. Okay. Well, get ready for us to decide if these cards are guilty or innocent. This week on The People's Dive Down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, 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 inter- we'll talk a little bit more about what, what we actually did uh, in the Dive Down section. Uh, what are we doing before that, Stan? We're also going to kick off the show with a breakdown of a little magic math made possible by one of our patrons as well, who explored the impact of Tasha's hideous laughter on modern <laughs> that that is hideous laughter yeah we'll name check again later but thank you stefan our, our buddy um remy made a nice video about tasha's hideous laughter and it was funny as 98 percent of his videos are if not 99 <laughs> wow shane a tough critic but first some housekeeping Shout out to the newest patrons to join the dive down nation devin r and the return of matt m Welcome back. Welcome back, Matt M. Matt M, one of the few patrons that we have met in person because we met him at a Grand Prix before the world became what it is now. Here's hoping we get to do that again sometime in the not-too-distant future, maybe. Keep your fingers crossed. And while I have you here, if you want to have live magic again, get vaccinated. If you're out there and you haven't gotten vaccinated, get vaccinated. I'm not tired of dancing around this, people. Go get vaccinated if you're eligible for a vaccine and you haven't got one yet. Do it. Mm-hmm. Don't email me. Just go get vaccinated. What if we need more information, Dave? There are plenty of resources. <laughs> you know, Stan, do you know a website? I know a lot of websites. That's what that's what your wife told me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> she does often talk about the tools of the internet, which I'm a master of. Well, the, she talks about the websites that you go to, and she's like, is this one problematic? And I'm like, no, it's fine. And she's like, is this one problematic? I'm like, no, he's a good boy. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Devin. Also, thank you to the other patrons who went up a tier in the last week. Aaron, C, Sean, D, Dan, B, and Purple, P. <laughs> Those are all real names. The, the plattest purple. Yeah, we are creeping up towards this deck box 
uh, stretch goal. And let me tell you what we, we we're, pull, we're pulling up the the invoice the potential invoices where we're talking to the deck box manufacturers. We're looking at what this is going to cost to make. We've been saving up for this. Don't worry. We don't have to do any kind of fundraising on it. We are here for you. We've got this covered. Uh, but yeah, once we get up to five hundred bucks and. Maybe stay there for more than five minutes before everyone lowers their their contributions. We'll we'll de-stretch it. Uh, yeah, but we're looking forward to that. I've been wanting to dive down deck box for I don't know since we started this thing. Mm-hmm. 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 So yeah, if you want to uh, get us there, you want to put us over the five hundred dollar line. If you just want to help keep us going, if you want to join the dive down nation, head on over to Patreon.com/slash the dive down. And as much as a buck a week. You get to join the super secret Slack server, get to join the Dive Down Nation, become a citizen. We'll, I'll stamp your passport and uh, get you in that Slack. The best place, the only place that I talk about magic. And honestly, you know, like I was thinking about this this week. I was talking to a buddy and you know, how sometimes you join a discord and it's like last post was like three days ago and you're like, well, that's, that's kind of a bummer. Like, do I have to kick off this conversation? That is never the case. In the Dive Down Nation, there is always something going on in one channel or another. And there's a lot of conversation, a lot of good people. And that's what that's one of the reasons I love it. So yeah, if you want to join that community, I have, again, started sending swag out. I work 30 seconds from a post office. I walk, oh, like it's more like three minutes. I walk over there. I drop off packages and I will continue doing this you know, until everyone has their stuff. I know we are behind a little bit. And by that, I mean, I am behind and for that, I apologize. I'm even sending ones to those people in other countries that I've been delaying. I've been like, I don't want to fill out this customs form to Norway. Odin, again. But anyway, uh, patreon.com slash dive down. Yeah. In particular, we're waiting for a delivery of stickers. Yeah, we ran out. We ran out of stickers. They should be here by the time this episode airs, but we're, we're working on it. Isn't this show live on Twitch? I mean, technically. It is live on Twitch, but then people listen to it a couple days later, not live and not on Twitch. It's a strange media landscape that we're in right now. If you'd like to support the dive down while playing Magic, you can sign up for Mana Traders and rent Magic Online cards. Use coupon code the dive down 2021 and get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. Thank you again to everyone who's been using our coupon code the last few months. We see you. We appreciate it. And I hope you're having as much fun as we are. Oh, yeah. I love it. Last thing. Get vaccinated. Man, I, I like this push, Dave. I like it. If you need help finding a vaccine, go to vaccines.gov and mm. find find a place near you that you're eligible. Right on. You can just walk into most pharmacies now, I think, and, and ask for it. In Chicago, you certainly can. I'm not sure what, how that is nationally, but yes. All right. Now let's move over to the news desk. Shane, You've been yeah. you've been breaking down some numbers <laughs> that someone else broke down first. Yeah. Um, so what I'm going to do this week in the breakdown is one highlight some awesome work by one of the citizens of the nation, Stefan. Is it is this the Stefan or just Stefan? I think it's Stefan. Is how I would say it. But okay, I can chat him and ask right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> he might yes. be in the chat. Is someone looking at the chat? Stefan. I'm Stephan, watching the chat. I haven't seen him yet. Steph. Yeah, so I'm just basically going to be summarizing what, what this citizen of the nation post uh, worked up because we got a lot of cards to talk about in the dive down. Thought it'd be cool to kind of highlight this and the, what he, they did is a statistical analysis of the new mill powerhouse Tasha's hideous laughter. But why is this card? Why we, is this is this happening for real? Like, is this oh, this is a thing? Is man. this card happening? Yeah, people are afraid of this card. Okay, like it. I mean, like I think the big reason people are afraid of it is one mill got that card in Modern Horizons 2, they got like Fractured Sanity. Mm-hmm. 
and they got this in quick succession. And along with all of the cool Demir cards that they have access to and other, and like, you know, the eight crabs and whatnot, Mill is no longer a joke. It hasn't been a joke probably for a little while, but these newer cards are pushing it over the edge. And Tasha's hideous laughter gets around some of the hate that people typically run. Can I read this card in case people, people don't that's have that, the that's probably a smart idea. actual text right on front in the, you know, right there. Tasha's hideous laughter, one generic blue, blue. For a sorcery, it is a rare in the Dungeons and Dragons set. And it says each opponent exiles cards from the top of their library until that player has exiled cards with a total mana value 20 or more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. So yeah, there's some randomness there, right? And like and and so it's kind of like, well, what is this gonna do? Is you know, modern has a pretty overall low uh, mana value and average mana value of a card in a modern deck, but the the question of course is how many cards does Laughter actually exile, and how well do particular decks in the meta fare against it? And so Stefan did a great post on Reddit in the Modern Magic sub with the title, How Hideous is Tasha's Laughter? What the Numbers Show? Uh, under their username, The Eagle Has Not Yet Landed. Oh, The Eagle Has Not Landed, one of the two. You're going to have to, not, have to yeah, delve into landed. that one in Slack okay. sometime. See what yeah. that's all about. But And so essentially, I'm going to be summarizing this post here for you. Uh, and what... They stated the way they went about doing this is go to Goldfish, see what deck lists were on the most popular for the last two weeks, downloaded those deck lists and added the mana value of the cards in the main deck, and then wrote some Python to run the decks themselves through the Tasha's grinder thousands of times in order to see how many cards are necessary to get uh, exiled before satisfying the 20 mana value condition. Is this, this is one of these moments for me where I was just like really bummed out that I don't know how to make a Python or yeah. code or do and literally anything that matters anymore in this world. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Python, Dave is probably valuable even to you uh, as a graphic design person. It does all sorts of interesting things. And then they did some more, you know, cool data visualization stuff. The quote box and whisker unquote diagrams, which show the most likely outcomes in the box. And then the most extreme outcomes, which are the whiskers, for each deck against Tasha's laughter. And so uh, we can't really go through this like this chart with you, but I think we can hit some highlights. Uh, on average, Tasha's hits many decks in the metagame for about 10 to 15 cards for the cost of three mana. And so versus the very low curve decks, uh, or decks running Luris, which are you know very low curve decks, it's a pretty big knockout, like Rakdos Luris, is it Blitz? And of course, Hammer Time, uh, it's pretty brutal against all of those. Hammer Time is particularly susceptible. Like, the, like this This is pretty astronomical. The, the median value milled is 35 cards. <laughs> what? Yeah, it basically is like getting domed for 11. For three mana. I mean, worth noting that part of that is because Hammer Time just has the most zero CMC spells in its deck. It's not just yeah. Bobble, it's also some of those creatures yeah i mean honestly you don't typically typically people aren't even running bobble in this deck it's just like you're like you said it's like eight zero mana creatures a ton of one mana artifacts and and other creatures so it's just a it's just a low to the ground deck and um yeah so you're 95 percent likely to hit 27 or more cards you know you're just getting half the deck basically when you when you cast tasha's hideous laughter and it's not like uh hammer time has really any recourse here like unless you're playing like Manatithe 
or something like that, and they, they happen to catch them out uh, with with what, without the a- access to the extra mana. And this gets around a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's the issue. Because for one thing, it says each opponent, right? So if you have Leyline of Sanctity up or something, or um, Solitary Confinement, which also gives you Shroud, right? Like that, it gets around that. And then it also exiles. And so what's the interaction with that and some of the popular sideboard cards that people run against this? Like Gaia's, Gaia's Blessing, right? And then like the, the Eldrazi Titans, like those don't trigger. Neither one of them so- triggers? Nope. Ooh, okay. It's it's real bad. It's real bad. Huh. So unless you're doing counter spells or something like that, or you or you know, like you know, or you get lucky and they, they don't happen to hit that. But like hammer time, I don't want a fifty fifty chance. Like I don't want to be putting you know guys blessing in my sideboard for the mill matchup only and just having it milled and having it not work half the time because it gets exiled. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. So. That is definitely a, a uh, recourse, an attack against one of the more popular decks. I've been hearing Hammer Time on all sorts of podcasts this past week. So you may remember that the dive down, your friends, we did talk about Hammer Time a long time ago. We were on top of this. Uh, it's also interesting that Amulet Titan is actually above average in terms of cards milled. Like Despite the cost of prime time, the yeah. curve is actually quite low. Well, it's also because they run 39 lands. Yeah, for sure. So you have basically have to hit multiple primeval titans to to get it otherwise or to stop the the hideous laughter. Some you know more standardy type deck, well not standard, more kind of contemporary, well more commonplace decks that contain like three maybe they have like three drops, four or five drops and like maybe some cost reduction effects, like maybe there's food or like stone blade. Those are kind of the next tier, like you're going to get 10 to 12 cards. So you're crashing footfalls your Stone Blade, your Urza's Kitchen, even Green Tron. And so does that basically mean that Tasha's Hideous Laughter is just fine to run main deck? Because twelve getting 10 to 12 cards for three mana is also fine, right? Because we're playing Fractured Sanity, which gets, what is it again, 14 for three? Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And then the winner of the tier one decks right now against Tasha's appears to be living it. Thanks to you, of course, it's just like a deck full of uncastable threats that they want to reanimate back out of the graveyard. So, you know, we thought this was just a cool, you know, article, some good work by Stefan. And it shows us just how scared we should be of Tasha's hideous laughter. It's definitely a threat to one of like these true tier one decks in hammer time. And of course, any deck running Luris, it's going to be really good against. And that might be able to keep those decks in check a bit as people have been picking up mill, I believe. And, you know, like, like Dave said, it's got these staples like archive trap and the new edition, like fractured sanity from modern horizons Two. mill really can exhaust a library with just a few resolved spells. And that's kind of an interesting change. And I think what this deck is trying to do, like it doesn't really even run what, like the, what's the, the Demir one that like exiles 10, like mills 10 cards glimpse of the unthinkable mm-hmm. that's it like it doesn't even seem to run that card anymore like it's sort of like a counter spell uh drown on the lock you know crab deck that's just trying to resolve a few big spells just a few haymakers and then of course like the incidental mill off of the like the orbs and the uh crabs so you know what's what's funny is that in this episode we had people vote on what cards they wanted to get banned out of modern and I put Tasha's hideous, hideous laughter on there just sort of as like, uh, people are talking about this card. They don't like this card. Four people out of about 70 did vote for this card to be banned from modern. And no spoilers, but that is more than people who voted for Lava Dart, for example, or then voted for Urza's 
versus Tower or the Fetchlands. <laughs> More people voted for Tasha's Hideous Laughter to get banned in our poll than they voted for Dryad of the Elysian Grove or Blood Moon. Wow. Wow. Well, here's here's a question. So we're talking about how it, effective it is against sub-strategies. Do we think we're at the point where non-mill decks can start running Hideous Laughter? Like, let's say you're really worried about Hammer Time, and you can cast and you can cast the Hideous Laughter, maybe even... Well, it, it exiles, so you can't snap it back, but maybe you play, like, a couple of them and, and, and try to just mill out a deck with your blue control deck. I mean, and unless you're saying, like, I'm going to pivot to be a mill deck with four Tasha's Hideous Laughters in the sideboard and, like, hope to draw three of them, it probably is not the best way to go about beating hammer time like if you're a blue deck you'd probably just run something like hercules recall maybe or something like that you know what i mean like i think there's or like even like a chalice of the void on zero or one or something like that is probably a better angle of attack but you know stan if you want to try it i'm not going to stop you yeah i mean i so hideous laughter doesn't even exile itself i, I was I, for some reason i thought it did but you just need one in a snapcaster mage and that's how you beat hammer time now well it's non-deterministic so keep in mind that sometimes you'll hit it and it'll be 18 and 18 and then you're going to be sitting there where they while they pummel you with the other 24 cards that are left in their deck dave it's not a pummeler deck so it's a hammer deck deck. (laughs) look before so i think that was an awesome rundown can we take two minutes and talk about the top eight of the sunday challenge today oh oh we have the sunday challenge sunday challenge is it up it is up yes i can read you the top eight of it right now we don't have any decks beyond that where's bamzing when i need them it was bamzing who gave us the top eight yep bamzing thank you don't have the post but i see the tweet let's look at this top eight first place gabriel nasif with a deck that he called awful jess guy awful jess guy guess what that is it's just jess guy control Oh my gosh. Second place, With, Teamer Footfalls. Hold on, hold on, hold on. We need to talk about what, what Jeskai Control looks like. This is not the Jeskai Control you took to a GP and failed with, Dave, while I failed with Impact. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> no, it's, it's, got, it's got four expressive iteration. It's got two main deck rest in peace. It's got four prismatic endings, a main deck engineered explosives. Yep. You know, and f- thankfully, Shark Typhoon. Shark Typhoon is back. Nature is healing. Maybe it's only got one counter spell. FYI. That's that's the weirdest thing. It's got three counter spells in the sideboard, but one counter spell main. It has more fire and ice and rest in peace main than it does counter spell. Yep. It's got lightning bolt. It's got a single lightning helix. This deck is super interesting. And Stan, you know what card is missing from this deck that you would have always thought, always thought would have been in Jeskai control? Tell me. Crypt- cryptic command? There's no cryptic commands in this deck at all. So this is not a deck that is going big in that way with control. It's It's like a Teferi interaction deck with Shark Typhoon. What? Yeah. At least it has a lightning helix. Wall of Omens. Yeah. I guess you play that with your Teferi Time Rattlers to draw two cards. You play that to keep Ragavan from being able to attack in is what you play that for, where you draw a card instead of them. Um, I think this deck is super interesting. I do think that this deck is very much like your... What is it that the people say on the internet? Why MMV? Your mileage may vary. Like... Gabe Nassif, one of the best control players ever, coming up with a brew that looks like it is extremely tailored for this moment in the meta, um, but still cool to see. I, I kind of thought that there would be a Celestial Colonnade in this deck, but nary a Colonnade. Well, we have Castle Ardenville instead. We do. We make one ones instead of 4-4s. Four All right, let's talk about the rest of the decks in here, because I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, number two, Teamer Footfalls by Rage Furball. 
Sounds like a mean cat. Uh, <laughs> number three, Jund. I saw this deck list. It's just Jund. Just Jund with Ragavan, basically, as in the one-drop slot, which I thought was also super interesting. They also have a couple of Grist. Oh, Grist. Yep, that's right. They've got Grist, and they've got Dothy. So there's, Dothy, some, uh, there's some iteration here. Mm-hmm. Fourth place. Grist is so cool. Well, you want to talk about Grist for a minute? I mean, Grist is just a cool card. I love Grist. That's it. Very That's cool. my take. I love that take. Hopefully you have longer takes for the main section of the show, but we'll, we'll go One on. One or two. Good. Uh, fourth place, Blue Black Mill. Speaking of it. By Tybalt of the Red Sub. Yeah, great screen name. I was just about to say when we were talking about Tasha City Ascend, I was like, is this thing top eighting challenges? Do we need to worry about it? And then lo and behold, here it is. Fourth place on Sunday's challenge. Fifth place, Blue Red Murktide. Sixth place, Green White Heliod. It's back. Green White Heliod is just top dated challenge. It is back. Uh, be ready. Yeah. Keep an eye out. Four color grieving end in seventh place by Sodek. He's back. You cannot keep Sodek down. Yep. They will always come and win with something. It's great. Yep. And then eighth place, red, white prowess, which is a list that I haven't gotten to see yet to see how prowessy prowess it is, but I'm going to assume from that name that it is clever Lumamancer. Awesome. Thank you. Bamzing again for scouring the Twitters to get these deck lists and share them with us. Eight different decks. It seems pretty cool. Different styles of decks, different things going on. Um, interesting to see. Yeah, Modern's the best. I, I can't imagine not liking Modern right now, except for the the hit on the wallet. Ban it. Ban it all. I can't imagine not liking Modern right now. Let's talk about banning cards. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we've kind of been beating around the bush. So, you know, like we said, four people voted for Tasha's Hitties Laughter to get banned from Modern. We have a lot of other votes. We sent word into the dive down nation to see what people wanted banned out of modern that's what we're going to be discussing in the dive down what cards did people pick what are our takes on these selections stay with us to find out all right we're back okay we're finally doing it all right people have i feel like People want to hear podcast people's take on stuff like this very often. We're going to have some speculation. We're going to have some fireworks. We're going to have some hot, hot takes or perhaps reactions to other people's hot, hot takes. What if we just all agree on everything? We, I think we do, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, no. We might That's not. That's rare for us. I think, I think, I think actually we, we don't really in the end. But what we're talking about today is the five cards that we would ban in Modern. But I guess what we're really talking about is the f the five cards that the Dive Down Nation would ban in Modern. Because as I mentioned in the breakdown, we spun up a survey, sent it out to our patrons, heard from 69 of them nice on what cards they would ban. And let's be clear, we are here today in part to bring truth to power. You know, we're made possible by the Dive Down Nation, but we don't answer to the Dive Down Nation. So while we're very excited to talk about the type five cards that they want banned, we don't necessarily agree with them. And we're going to try to do a little bit of a pro-con analysis for each of the cards in good faith while also sharing yeah. our versions and our, our verdicts as well. Yeah, like are these cards really ban worthy? And like Stan mentioned, let's give the case for and against those and give our final judgment on each one. And I, I think... This is going to take longer than I anticipate. So let's just start this off. The we're number gonna start one card. The, we're going to start at the top, too. We're not going yeah, to hold it. We're going to start with the one that got the most votes, right? Yeah, let's just start at the top because I feel like this this card has the most conversation around it. 
in terms, in my opinion, like I think we could talk about this the most, and I don't want to be rushing at this. Yeah, so it's Reeve Soul, one of the black <laughs> sorcery. Dan, what is with you in Reeve Soul? I just think it's a really good removal spell. You know what? It was incredible in, I believe, in Magic, Magic Origins, Origins Limited. Draft. <laughs> yeah. Weird, a, a one in the black removal spell, good and good and limited, huh? Yeah, that was one of the highest limited formats I ever got my ranking on Moto. Actually, it was all thanks to Reeve Soul. It was fifteen sixty. Good days. Dave, that's below average. Just kidding. Okay. Uh, well, it's actually Luris of the Dream Den. Okay. It's first up. I hate to type this card because Google Docs always wants to correct it to lupus. And according to the nation, this is the most disliked and most banworthy card in modern. Uh, what, 28 votes? Is that correct? I believe. That's what our charts say. 28. 20 out of 69. So Luris, of course, broke the format in half when it was first printed in mid-April of 2020. So originally, if you you know were not playing modern then, companions were cast out from outside the game for their mana val- mana cost. So like this was a three mana value graveyard recursion engine with you know so it was just a no brainer that couldn't be thought seized. That no, could yeah, just <laughs> it was just it was just a no brainer. It was everything. It wasn't everything. Uh, and it was the, you know, these companions were so good that six weeks later, about uh, Watsi made this rules change. You had to pay three generic mana to move it from the companion zone into your hands. Then you could cast it as normal. But what's mildly surprising, perhaps, is that the power and popularity of Luris has you know been retained in modern even after this additional cost. Is it surprising? No. Is it? I mean, the other ones I mean, got less popular, but this one. This one does so many things. Yeah. So we'll talk about those things. Um, 41% of all respondents had Luris on their list. And I think we would as well, but I don't want to spoil our final verdicts. So like uh, we mentioned, let's start with the case for banning Luris in modern. And I want to hear your all take on this first. Let's, let's start thinking of some of the reasons that we would ban Luris of the Dream Den, the Nightmare Cat, out of modern well the big one for me it breaks other cards you know it's not necessarily that luris in and of itself hits the battlefield and creates problems it's that it creates problems out of lots of other tools that people can bring in and out of decks in and out of sideboards sure. so many cheap so like, creatures you mean like seals or like seals sac- things bobbles, they could sacrifice some creatures yeah chalices engineered explosives what what have you there's just so many cheap creatures and and just other zero to two mana permanents um, that were mostly harmless before Luris entered the the format and entered the game really, and then the introduction of this one creature now powers up so many other cards that not only is she warping decks, but really the entire format's previous power level has shifted. Remember when we talked about? I think we talked about Snapcaster Mage a long ago episode and like kind of like I think it was during our blue white control. Or maybe like our Mystic Sanctuary app, where it's just kind of like you get selection out of your graveyard, and that's really valuable. Like you get to sort of use the cards out of your graveyard again, and you get to target them. And like Luris does a lot of the same things, right? Where it's like you resolve Luris, and then you get to rebuy a card of your choice out of your graveyard, and you don't even target it. Like as soon as Luris hits the battlefield, there's no ETB. You know what I mean? Like when, when Luris is on the battlefield, you get to cast it out of the graveyard and your opponent has no ability to like respond to that. They can respond to the cast, but after that, if they have nothing to do on the cast, you're, you know, you're going to town. What are some other reasons why y'all think Luris is bannable? Let's just talk about how powerful it is overall. Yeah. Like just yeah, how powerful just like, the ability is. You said that it breaks cards, Stan. 
let's talk about the stuff that you get from from being able to break cards with Luris, right? Number one, anything that costs zero or has a self-sack ability or can be played with a sack outlet and has a mana value of less than two, two or less, suddenly is on the menu to be in an engine for Luris to break, right? And what that means is um, your opponent's removal is less good, like first time or first thinking, because if they kill your cheap creatures, you can get Luris to get your creatures back if you need to go that way. In modern, we have the special interaction, of course, with Mishra's Bauble mm-hmm. that turns Luris into a card advantage engine where you can just cast Luris, then cast a Bauble from your graveyard. And then for as long as you can protect Luris or bring Luris back, you can use Bauble to just draw an extra card if you want to every turn. Um, you can recur removal with it using like Stan said, a seal or engineered explosives in particular, if you want to go down that whole train to be able to recast it over and over again. There's just so many different ways that you can turn Luris's ability into an advantage. And then on top of it, <laughs> Luris is a three, two for three, which is like reasonable stats and it has lifelink. So you can yep. also sometimes use it as a way to get out of typed spots against decks that have aggroed you out before you get to get to your grind plan in the first place. Uh-huh. So it's a reasonable threat in some ways. It lets you bounce back from aggressive decks and it lets you grind in the mid game. There's so many different pieces of Luris that are good just when you look at the card itself. Yeah. So Dave, what you're getting at there is the, the power level of Luris. I think it really decks get warped around this high power level card. And essentially I think you can make the argument or I'll make the argument and see what you all think about it is that it, artificially or not even artificially i think it sort of forcefully restricts deck building because it's almost always too good not to run luris in decks that like could ostensibly or feasibly support it or want it so decks just aren't playing with permanence of mana value three or higher and so what this does is consolidate the cards that are seeing play because of the power of luris recurring those cards back out of the graveyard and so decks then become more similar and i think that you could say that it sort of stifles or inhibits creativity and experimentation because when Luris is so good to not, you know, that you have to play it or almost always have to play it if you feasibly can, then it just sort of makes modern more samey. And that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. I think in a weird way right now, Luris has sort of set the standard for almost like an AB test of how you're going to go around deciding what deck you want to play in modern right now, or what deck you want to build in modern right now is, do I want to play a Luris deck or not? If I want to play a Luris deck, then there's an entire system of decks that um, fall into that and are able to play Luris. And there's a variety of things that fall into that, into that bucket, but um, it's sort of like a primary choice that you have to make when you're engaging with modern now that feels weird that it's all kind of defined by this one card. It's a primary choice that came up a lot in our MH2 set review too. You know, we would look at cards like Thought Monitor and maybe Merktide Regent, for instance. And I think we were asking questions like, is this actually better than Luris? Because even going into the MH2 spoilers, Luris is basically one of the best things you could do in the format. And then like a bunch of cards too, we were like, Looks like it'll work great with, with Luris. And I think a lot of those bore out, including the seals, for instance. But fortunately, I think we did recognize that, if nothing else, there were cards that gave you incentives to not play Luris. You know, things like Endurance and Merktide Regent are two examples of that. You know, you can't put those in Luris decks, and right. the decks that are running them are doing just fine. 
But it is interesting how not only is it impacting deck selection and, and in some cases the success of decks, but it can even, I think, to your point, stymie some creativity because it might make people overlook cards that are out there just because, you know, they don't enter, they don't factor into the system, this Luris bobble package that seems to be pretty ubiquitous in all the Luris decks. Yeah, like we'll talk about bobble in a little bit. Uh, spoilers, but I think I don't know gonna... if we are. Are we? <laughs> no, no, we're not. Maybe we can um, s- sneak it in there. Yeah, I remember. I mean, like recently, a friend of the show, of course, aspiring Spike, did like they they had a tweet where it's just like, "I'm working on a new modern brew. It looks pretty broken so far, and it's like four baubles and a Luris. and and that's just not even really a joke. That's how you want to start almost any deck that you can if you can feasibly do it. Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think it's a primary filter for how you engage with the format, right? Luris, yeah, yes, no is question number two on the list of of when you're selecting what deck you want to play. Has that existed before? With things like Thoughtseize or Lightning Bolt or Faithless Looting in the past, like weren't there certain classes of cards that would maybe inform how you wanted to enter the format week to week? It's an interesting question. I feel like Faithless Looting might be the closest to that, although it's still different because Faithless Looting defines a large portion of your deck, but it doesn't define your whole deck, you know? Well, and I think Luris defines a deck in a different way. Right, like a faithless looting deck is trying to is almost certainly trying to get advantage out of its graveyard, whereas Luris is just saying, "Can I make a good enough deck with two CMC or or less two mana value or less permanence? Because at some point I can get those permanents back with Luris." That's like a very different way to like define a deck, where it's like you'll see Luris in Burn. And you'll see Luris and Hammer Time, or like a you know, or a Rakdos style deck. And the value that Luris is providing to each of those decks is very similar, but the cards that are in those those packages are very different. Well, yeah, and the truth is, the opportunity cost for playing Luris is not that high. It's not high at all. You know, especially given the way that companions work that you know that you'll be able to get into that mode if the game goes that way because you can save Luris until turn six or turn seven or whatever, that there's really no cost to deciding that I want to be an aggressive deck that maybe if I have to play at turn six, I'm going to switch into playing Luris and try to get cards back or draw extra cards or something like that. The opportunity cost is a sideboard slot. That's it. And not running spells that are more than two CMC, but are not running permanents that are more than two CMC specifically. Keep that in mind, please, with Luris decks, of course. That's not a huge restriction, especially in a format like Modern, where the mana cost of cards is just going down and down and down. And if you're if yeah. you want to be playing one and two mana and zero mana spells anyway, so why not? Yeah, and then the way the format has has evolved with Horizons and other sets is like one of the reasons I think you can look at a deck like Hammer Time and say, well, how is how did Hammer Time go from a pretty good, you know, kind of maybe a combo kill deck into this grindy, uh, long game, potentially long game deck along with quick kills, is that one, you have Urza Saga to assist in grinding, and then two, you have Luris to assist in grinding. Because like Dave said, just just because it's th- three mana to, th- mana to put in your hand and three mana to go into the battlefield, you're fine getting to that spot with Luris because then you start getting individual cards that you need back out of your graveyard. Do you need that hammer? Do you need that Sigarda's uh, aid? You know anything like that is, is you can get back out. And on top of that, because it's coming out of a 
your sideboard, it's an eighth card in your opening hand. So it's another piece of value to add on to the ways companions work to say, like, even, even with this tax, I still have an eighth card. I still have card advantage and, along with all of the other aspects of Luris. Um, so, and all it really has as a cost is the deck building restriction. And I think that it's safe to say at this point that some were less successfully conceived than others in terms of how easy they were to employ to get the power of the companion. And I think the bottom line of all of this is what's happened as a result of this is Luris is everywhere. Yeah. It's everywhere. And it's not just that it's everywhere, because there are other cards that are played in more decks. It's that it makes all the decks that it is in be Luris decks. You know, Lightning Bolt doesn't make decks into Lightning Bolt decks. You know what I mean? Like, Lightning Bolt can be played as removal. It can be played as part of a burn package. That's pretty much it. But <laughs> but it doesn't make, it doesn't define the whole deck and, and what how you can build. Luris is kind of like, oh, you want to use me? Okay, this is what you have to do. And you end up in this kind of range of decks or range of play patterns in the mid game. And Luris is in, according to MTG Goldfish, in 18% of decks at the moment. Yeah, but when we look at these decks, are they all all that samey because the range is hammer time you know Rakdos mid-range you have a bunch of shadow decks Grixis four color Mardu shadow but mill burn prowess those are still decks that are defined by the rest of the shell not necessarily by Luris. right but what happens is their turns five six seven eight might be defined by the Luris sub game mm-hmm. and that can be frustrating with people where they feel like, okay, I've gotten to this advantage point against a deck that I have a bad matchup against. And then, Oh, they have Luris as their next plan. Mm-hmm. And so it means like the mid phase turns to that game frequently. Stan, it sounds like you're kind of taking us into the case against banning Luris, right? Which is like, I think one of the aspects that you brought up is like, sure. It does have a, a warping effect for the decks around it, but are these decks really, you know, are we seeing the same permanence in all these decks? Are we seeing, is it like we're only seeing a select few permanents that are in every deck that runs Luris? And I'd say that's probably, you know, it's not the case. And I think like this warping effect could potentially have seen as a weakness of Luris because like, you know, we talked about all the benefits of Luris and how it makes uh, decks want to run two mana value permanents or less, but like maybe that's so tempting that people are ignoring stuff that they should be playing. Like maybe they're actually misbuilding their decks in the end. They're leaving out these powerful three mana value threats. Like let's say let's say Nettle Cyst or Nettle Nettle whatever it is, uh, that new living weapon that is uh, basically a walking cranial planing. A Nettle Cyst. Yeah, like maybe 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 Hammer should run that. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Probably not, because you could run Luris. But like you know, there's there's a lot of decks that make a decision like that, right? Where it's like, should I be playing Liliana of the Veil, or should I be playing like Luris Jund? You know, for all of the the, the supposed payoff of Luris, still is slower to get at times, right? Or it's like, am I going to make the long game? Does Burn need to be running Luris? Like, was it better for Burn to have a fifteenth sideboard card type thing rather than have Luris? Yeah, but. I mean, this is a great point. All of this, yeah, I'm, this I'm just, list I'm just of the cons, the things, just trying to do the cons, man. Totally. And I let me let me. I'm going to go through this list of cons that we have. We have assembled assembled three of Magic's finest thinking, talking brains. Not really. Yeah. 
yeah. have assembled, the list that we've assembled for why Luris is okay to stay legal is what Shane just talked about, which is fair, that it takes up a sideboard slot, that the nerf made it slower and that's better. It makes you a little soft to graveyard hate. It's easy to kill and it's just a one of. I hate to tell you all, in my opinion, these are just corner cases where Luris is less than amazing. Yeah. These are not reasons that Luris is okay to not ban. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like we really like, we're trying to stretch to figure out why, you know, why okay, it shouldn't be banned. Let us play a little devil's advocate here. We're trying to have Please, a conversation. Go ahead. Right? I'm just saying like, I, and I looked at this list and did, I had the same, like I didn't bring anything extra to this list either, you know, but, but what do you okay. think? So easy to kill. Usually a one of, I think those two things are, I, I put those two down for a couple of reasons. Six mana for a two toughness creature is very steep to begin with. One that doesn't necessarily even have an ETB, all right, which I think is maybe a knock against it. Or rather, the fact that it doesn't have an ETB is, is almost a knock for banning it. It's, yeah, it, it's a benefit. It's, it's, you, can't, you can't kill it. It, it. It's a weird benefit, yeah. But it essentially dies to all of the removal spells in the format, including most, if not all, of the one-mana burn spells, or even one-mana removal spells in the format. Um, so I think just it being super, super killable, and it only ever being a one-of that is totally telegraphed to you, makes it such that you can formulate a little bit of a plan against your opponent's Luris. You are playing a sub-game there, but so many three-mana permanents force you to do that. And once you kill it, chances are it's never coming back. And a lot of that recursive, mid-range, grindy potential that it has is sort of dead in the water. Yeah, I mean, like, when someone has a Luris, you know that they don't have particular threats. You know that they don't have a Liliana of the Veil when they reveal a Luris to you. You know they don't have an Endurance. There's all kind of things that you can just be like, yeah, I don't have to fear this because of the way that Luris makes you build your deck around it. And so that definitely is like an, an issue, right? But, you know, how big of an issue? Like, what's, you know, the, the benefits probably outweigh the costs here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Graveyard Hate for a second. Okay. Sure. Does Luris make Luris decks vulnerable to Graveyard Hate? I mean, for sure, right? I don't think it does. I don't think it does. You know, I, I have, it, funny enough, I don't have as much playing with Luris in um modern actually as i do in because uh, i like to play storm storming entity yeah but i have a lot of experience playing with it in historic yeah. and i consistently thought that it was a bad idea to bring in graveyard against the decks that i like to play with Luris, which was auras you know just kind of like prowess of historic in some ways mm-hmm. um because it's a different game. Like it's just this side benefit that they, that you get from playing Luris uh, to do the recursion. But the real problem is that it's making your threats. You have to kill the threats again and bringing in bad cards against an aggressive deck where they, they have nothing else in their deck that pays off the graveyard is like a, a risky plan. Now in modern, it's more often that there's graveyard synergies that happen that you need to bring in graveyard hate anyway. Like, I mean, Look Croaks, at any number uh, of those decks. Tar- exactly. Maybe Tarmogoyf, even. Exactly. So it's a little bit different there, but I don't think that straight up Graveyard Hate, I think the statement Graveyard Hate is good against Luris is kind of like, I don't know, even if someone only had Luris and Bauble in their deck and that was all that they were trying to recur, really, like, do you really want to bring it in for that? I don't know. I would I just bring in more so. removal. Yeah. So I don't know. 
All right. Well, we've got a bunch more cards to talk yeah, about. Yeah. Just really quick, though. I think that all of these <laughs> things that we One have add up to there's counterplay against Luris, right? Like what we're trying right. to say is there's counterplay against Luris. And not only that, but would you guys agree that compared to some cards that have been banned in the last couple of years, such as Oko, Uro, and and dare I say, Mycocent Lattice, mm-hmm. seeing an opponent cast or fetch up a Luris isn't quite as backbreaking and frustrating. Actually, I do but agree you with no that statement. have no answer for it. Oh, you, would you agree or disagree? No, I Dave? agree with what Stan said. I sure. think that when you put it in the context of those three cards, I go, yeah, I do hate. Loris less than those three cards. <laughs> yes, than those three cards. Thank you. All right, let's give some verdicts on this card so we can move on to the next ones. I'm just going to go first. I think we tried to give some reasons while Loris is okay for modern, but it probably honestly isn't. Like I think that we see the the efficiency of modern continue to drop. I mean, we're we're seeing some amazing one mana value threats from Modern Horizons. More and more cards get added to the format, and this Nightmare Cat becomes more nightmarish. And I, I think my biggest gripe with Loris is that it's just always sort of like lurking out there. It's just always there. It's always doing the same tactic. And I find that tactic to ultimately be a little boring in the end. Like this card is just super powerful. The The game is warped around it in some fashion. And I think that it's, it's, a, it's a net loss to the format to have it in it. And I think it's time to be banned. I do agree with the listeners. I will say that I also agree with the listeners and mostly agree with everything that Shane said. I worry about the fact that it's always going to be around and that it's such a strong force of gravity within the, uh, within the, the format. It's like Jupiter in the solar system, you know, like every comet's got to pass by it. Is that true? Science people who listen to the no, never mind. Um, but y- you know what I mean? Like, it's just such a strong force within the format that I worry about everything else having to deal with it. And while there are decks that don't use it, and there are decks that have good reasons to not use it, uh, I think that the opportunity cost is too low. And I think it will be the next card banned in Modern. I think whenever, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I think it will be the next one, is my guess. That's interesting. I'm going to revisit that question when we talk about some other cards sure whether whether you really think loris is going to be banned before some of the other ones we discussed but my verdict is that i would rather see loris banned than some of the other stuff that loris breaks but i do think that loris is kind of fun it, it's led to some fun decks that make previously essentially unplayable cards kind of worthwhile to play like stuff like seal of removal seal of fire Seal of Primordium, really the seals, and, but but even some spell bombs too. I think it's neat that those cards were elevated thanks to Luris. I think it's less neat that something like Mishra's Bobble, which has been around forever, is now a huge problematic card just because this one creature was introduced. So I think there's a cost to banning Luris that makes the format a little less interesting, but I also think there's a cost to keeping it in and its ubiquity and its gravity and all the other things we discussed. So it'll probably be net positive to go without it, but I don't think it's Oko level yet where seeing someone play with an, a, with a Luris is just so disheartening. But it is Oko in the way that it ends up in weird 
decks when you aren't remembering. Remember when that there was that person who like five owed with a burn deck that just splashed blue green for Oko and that was it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, okay, this is where we are. Like I do think that there's a little bit of that going on with Luris, but closing thoughts. All right. The next card on the list, number two on the list of cards that our listeners would like to see banned. Twenty in votes. Twenty votes. What is that? That's like thirty ish 33% or something like that. 20 anyway. out of 69? Yeah. That's 29 29%. 29%, Dave. 29%. Good guess. 30%. Oh, there you go. So, it's Mishra's Bobble. Mm-hmm. Who could have guessed that the other card that people would really like to see banned is the card that goes together so beautifully with Luris. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny about Mishra's Bobble <laughs> is... The first time I remember hearing about this card, I, I literally didn't know this card that existed even existed until I was listening to an episode of um, Top Level Magic with Patrick Chapin and Mike Flores, and they were talking about a prowess build, the like early, early idea of building a deck around prowess that Patrick Chapin was messing around with. He had realized that Mishra's Bobble was a zero-cost card that drew a card that could fit in that shell. Yeah, remember when people didn't respect zero amount of artifacts in modern? Like, you know, 2014, 2015? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's like we were so... We just didn't understand some of the things that were hidden in the format in some ways. And I think of the players yeah, that Death have been around for a long time Bobble. really did. Yeah. I mean, Death Shadow is an interesting case, too. We talk about that some other time. But that was another hidden gem that was kind of just like not on people's radar for a really long time. And then suddenly it was, but so he was playing it as a trigger and a cantrip the same way that red prowess decks kind of play crash through or something like that, you know, where it's just like, we're just going to pay and we're going to draw and it. It doesn't matter what the effect is. We're just going to go on from there. Mm-hmm. But it felt like from that moment, all of a sudden bobble was like everywhere, everywhere. And ever since then, people have used this artifact to enable delirium, to give spell triggers, to fill your graveyard, to draw cards with Luris, to draw cards without Luris, to take advantage of artifact synergies like Infinity or other things, to make your deck smaller, to make fake opts, to do all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think the list goes on and on. Fake brainstorm shuffles. Exactly. And it's a it's Not a full full staple in modern now, right? And it showed up in a wide wide range of decks from Shadow to Prowess to Urza to you get. You know, you figure, you know what we're talking about. Bobble is everywhere as well. Remember it's how free cardboard? Yeah. Remember how Luris was only in eighteen percent of decks? Only in eighteen percent of decks. I'm going to say right now. Right now, Bobble is supposedly in twenty seven percent of the decks on Goldfish. Woo-hoo. Have Mishra's Bobble. What? What's playing Bobble and not Luris? <laughs> uh, Murktide, for one thing. Oh yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I guess it's. Uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler is, is the yeah. other bobble deck. That's part of it, but don't forget that at different points in time, and not that tr- traditional old like Wurza really coexisted with it at the same time, but they were running bobble and would not have been able to run Luris because Urza's a four, you know, four CMC spell. Uh, I think that there's, of course, uh, I think Lantern Control sometimes runs bobble. Like there are yeah, decks sure. that just use bobble as an artifact that would not run it with with Luris. and besides they have emery now to be able to do a lot of the recursion yeah. uh, they would have that does the recursion that Luris brought to everybody later on mm-hmm. so there are a bunch of decks that are non-luris decks that run it i think it's a card that has turned out to be really useful in lots of different places and right now it's just very in our face mm-hmm. yeah it's just another ubiquitous card yeah that- 
is, I mean, I think a lot of the same arguments we made about Luris just sort of happen through a different lens, right? So like, we're jumping right into the prosecution here. Let's do it. Okay. Stan, what do you think about this? I feel like I feel like you have takes on Bobble. Yeah, but... Are they more in the con? Yeah, they're, they're more in the, the case for keeping it than the okay. case for banning it. So you're playing right. the role of the defense attorney. All right, I'll, I'll hop in here. Yeah, all right. The number do one, it, Dave. The number one thing I think for Bobble here in my mind is, again, sort of like Luris, it's the ubiquity of the card. And I think yeah. this is the one thing that people think of when they think about Bobble is that it's an artifact. It costs nothing. There's no disincentive to play the card. And when this argument comes up, I think a lot of people think about the reasons that uh, Cataxium Probe was banned in 2017. RIP. Yeah, RIP. You know, while Probe was banned, I went back to the Probe announcement and read it. It's an extremely short paragraph. I was shocked by what they said. Because basically what it (laughs) said was, Probe is making turn three wins happen in a number of different ways. And it makes it a little too easy for all index to know if the coast is clear, so we're banning it. And mm-hmm. I was like, but wait, Git Probe was in like tons of different decks. You know, it yeah. used, used to take advantage of all the different pieces of Git Probe, whether it was taking a look to make sure the coast was clear for your combo, having a free spell trigger, taking advantage of the loss of life in Shadow Zoo. Um, you know, Storm was using it, Infect was using it. You know, Prowess would have used it if if that was quite quite the type of deck that it was at the time. It really it really wasn't didn't exist quite yet. But I think it just became clear that the card was just everywhere. I mean, you used to play it in like Splinter Twin to make sure that you could see what no. was going on. Yeah, I think so. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it was a free card to see if if you had to worry about someone killing your your um, countering your combo basically or countering your combo in response. Yeah. yeah, killing your Deceiver Exarch. That's what I was trying to think of. So I think that when you look at it that way, it starts to feel a lot more like Bobble, where people are finding all of these different pieces of this free draw a card cantrip and using it to an advantage, whether it's the loss of life from Phyrexian mana in the case of Git Probe, the spell trigger, et cetera, et cetera. In Bobble, it becomes like, well, it's an artifact. Well, it's a non-creature spell. Well, it draws you a card. Well, it goes into your graveyard, and it's a permanent, so you can do different things with that. Well, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It's, a, it's an infrequently played kind of card, so you can use it to power up Delirium. I mean, you used mm-hmm. to use it to power up Delirium in, like, four-color shadow before to make yeah. traverse the Traverse, shadow decks, yeah. yeah. So I think the big cost with, or problem with all of this, of course, is the fact that it costs zero, and it can really be everywhere and lend all the little pieces of it um, to whatever deck needs it at no cost at all, especially to your turn. Right on. I mean, yeah, it's, it's zero. And like, it's sort of like the mythical 56 card deck, right? Where it's like, it's not quite, it's not, it's not literally, I think, I think get probe was almost a little bit more free. Like, I mean, you do have to wait to draw the card. That's an advantage. You only see, potentially the top card of your opponent's deck if you're not uh, bobbling yourself. And so there are some definite benefits that Git Probe had over uh, Mishra's Bobble. But I think what's interesting, and it's some, something we talked about in terms of Luris, but also I think you can see it here, is that it restricts the design space of modern magic and in a lot of ways in magic in general, because you know, we, we keep getting it sort of like this argument that like Mishra's bobble is sort of at its floor right now. 
Like it's only going to get better as more cards that work well with it. The more, the more prowess triggers we have, like it's sort of like, you know, if, if wizards makes a new prowess creature, like let's say clever Luomancer, right? Notice that Magecraft does not trigger off of artifacts. And I'm sure it's the kind of thing that every card they make that has maybe a prowess thing or has an artifact synergy upon artifact cast or something like that, right? Or an improvise or anything or, or affinity kind of stuff. Like the whole, all the thought process has to be, well, does Bobble break this? Or how much better does Bobble make this? than it would otherwise. And that's the kind of calculus that uh, makes a format less interesting, I think, for the developers of the game. And I don't even know if they actually do that, but I'm sure that there is always, like, that's always lurking, right? Is that risk that a card can be too good or maybe has to be detuned because of the existence of Bobble. Yeah, and that's the thing that really worries me in this kind of zone with it is just one of the, you know, it's sort of like what they, now Faithless Looting, I think on its face is a much more powerful card. And we'll talk about that in a second, but it was a card that they had to think about all the time when they were making new sets was like, well, how good is this mechanic going to be in modern with faithless looting? Can we really do that? And so removing it from modern made it a little bit easier for them to do other things. And the reason that it's bad in this case, again, or that bobble kind of tiptoes into this area again, I think is because it costs zero like, and it draws a card. It replaces itself. And so I think that if you go on to the next the last reason that I think that Bobble should be banned is because it costs zero and it draws a card. And there are very, very few things that do that at this point in time. We've gotten rid of most of them, really. There were there were a few before. Get Probe's gone. Maybe this is gone. Street Wraith has always been on my radar for similar reasons. And um, I just think that, yep. that there is a huge cost to having this thing that costs no mana and replaces itself. Yeah, I think that's actually a good comparison, Dave. It's like, I, I think that if we had, if if Prowess-style decks or Delirium-style decks weren't in vogue right now, I think that if we had done this you know, poll a year ago, two years ago, like Street Wraith would definitely be on this list. Yeah, or Manamorphos, sort of, which we thought would be on this list, but actually didn't get many votes. Yeah, just like this, cards that do something for nothing, and and this is one of them, and I think this is the one of them that's fitting in the current best shells, but also has proven itself to be, I think much like Street Wraith actually, has proven itself to be uh, a staple of the type of card that it is. And I think that that is, at this point, potentially dangerous, potentially bannable. Stan, what do you think about not banning? You said you have some arguments against it, and I'm all ears. Well, I think for one... We wouldn't be having this conversation if it wasn't because of Luris in particular. And I think this is just one example where we want to ban the payoff rather than the enabler. And I know we're on the heels of like a Luris conversation, but I almost feel like let's keep the card that's been around forever and I'd rather see Luris go than something that's kind of been a staple of the format for so long. Totally understand that perspective. I will say that I think if you check the tapes in early episodes of the dive down, even I frequently mentioned that Mishra's Bobble was on my list of cards that I thought would be under ban consideration someday. Mm-hmm. Pre, this is pre Luris. So I think that a lot of the things that we have, like Shane was just saying a moment ago, still apply to this card and to this whole group of cards that do, do replace themselves for nothing. 
Um, it's just this is the one that is the most critical right now, partially because of Luris. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that for me, that's the biggest one. It's just like, let's just acknowledge the fact that the design space that we've seen over the last year or two or three or four is is really breaking older cards more than perhaps like some of these older cards would have been otherwise. Also, I think worth mentioning, it's not an unfair or broken card in and of itself, right? It's not doing anything yeah. warping. It's not winning games on its own. It's just a free value tool that anyone can run. And maybe ubiquity is a problem, but it's not, I think, backbreaking for any other matchup. I think that what's interesting about that, Stan, is I do agree. I think that even back when it sort of was rediscovered by Chapin in like 2015-ish, when like prowess became a thing, like what, what Spike says applies there too. Like that was the worst it ever was in 2015. And it only got better as more cards that could take advantage of it. When the idea of improvise got printed, when Urza got printed, when uh, you know other artifacts that could sort of play with it and inform artifact synergies like that keeps popping up. And like 2015 bubble was the worst and 2021 bubble is the worst that it will be. Yeah. My quick question here is if we're looking at other comps, how do we feel like this card compares to like Arkham's Astrolabe, for example, which is another card that ended up banned. Obviously I guess Arkham's is more powerful just because it comes into play and draws a card while also fixing your mana. Arkham's Astrolabe did a whole other thing. Right. So it did something afterwards. And that's another reason that that card is. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do is like in this idea of, well, that's, you know, Bobble is on its face as a card on its own, not broken. Mm-hmm. Right. But something like Arkham's Astrolabe was because it drew you a card and also provided a lasting benefit. Mm-hmm. This just draws you a card and doesn't really give you a lasting benefit at all. It just does a thing and draws you a card. Right. It, it, I, I think in the Delirium decks, it provides you the lasting benefit too, but you could have gotten that benefit from a whole other slew of cards, right? right. Let's say Bobble is banned. People are still going to try to find ways to play Dragon's Rage Channeler, and maybe that's with Spell Bombs or Seals or something else entirely. Tar Fires. Do you think there's an argument to be made in terms of keeping Bobble in that it lets a card like Traverse the Uvenwald exist? Like a traverse deck exists. I mean, I think it lets a card like Dar- like uh, Dragon's Rage Channeler exist. Honestly, I Stan, I know you just said that you think people are going to keep trying to play it. I think it gets a lot harder if mm-hmm. Mistress Bobble gets banned. Honestly, and this was an interesting take that I saw on Twitter, which is part of the reason this ended up in the show notes. Which is, you know, Saffron Olive had said, "What positive things do Manamorphos and Mistress Bobble add to modern? I tend to view them as unhealthy, unfair cards." But I'm curious if there's a counter argument. Patrick Sullivan said, my counter argument would be even if the cards themselves are unhealthy, they're unhealthy in an innocuous way that most tournament players don't seem to mind and subsidize a bunch of healthy cards that might not get played without them. It's an interesting idea. Healthy is in pretty big scare quotes there for me, but... Yeah, I would love to see a list of exactly what cards he had in mind, but I do think something like Traverse the Ulenwald, maybe Tarm... I mean, Tarmogoyf sometimes saw play in bobble decks at different points in time. Like uh, Grim... Uh, flare, like you know, it's a part of like a traverse package. Yeah, that's a kind of like it's sort of like enables delirium mm-hmm. when you don't want to run like tribal, like a tribal uh, uh, tar fire mm-hmm. type thing, right. like a tribal instance. Yeah, but then like the argument is, well, let's let's just say we pivot to uh, Nile spell bombs. You know, what I mean, like this costs one. You know, it's not it's not free, and maybe and, and I think the argument we're sort of making is 
have we reached the point where Bobble is too efficient at doing what Patrick Sullivan is saying, where it's like, sure, it's great. And like, it, it lets uh, good to great cards exist as they should. Um, I don't know. Can what either, do you think, Stan? Well, can either of you imagine a world where Bobble is banned, but Luris remains legal? Uh, or is this, or, or are we imagining a scenario where potentially it's Hogak and Faithless Looting could ban simultaneously, where it's Luris plus Bobble? I mean, you're, I was trying to save this for later, uh, but if you're putting me on the spot, I do think Luris will go before Bobble. I, th- I don't think that they will double ban them together. Um, I'm, I think they will try one before the other, but I think that might be a, a mistake in the end. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that world where uh, Bobble gets banned first, like Bridge uh, Bridge from Below got banned first, you know? And then Hogak was still there to see if it powered it down enough or not. Um, I can imagine it. Why don't we go to Final Judgments here? Yeah. Let's move it on. Stan, I want you to go first. Okay, so this one's really hard for me because on one hand, it's basically Gataxian Probe. Not quite as good. But no other cards we have now are as close to Probe as Bobble is. So I think your comparison there, Dave, was very apt. On the other hand, Bobble has been in Modern for a really long time that I consider it a semi-staple of the format. And I think that getting rid of it would have very lasting, noticeable ripple effects across a lot of beloved decks. And for that reason, I would rather keep Bobble than Luris. And I don't think Bobble, by itself in the past, has proven itself so problematic in a vacuum that we would need to get rid of both, Bobble and Luris. So my verdict is keep it, ban Luris, and I think most people will be happier for it. Now, I did, when I saw you in person a couple weeks ago, Stan, when we were playing, I said, I think Bobble's going to be the next card that gets banned. Right. And my jaw is still on your basement floor. (laughs) But 20 minutes ago, I said, I think Luris is the next card that's going to get banned. I have moved over to thinking that Luris is the next card that's going to get banned. But I think that there's a good chance it's a twofer, honestly. And that's going to be it. Now, I I am someone who has played a ton of Bobble decks for a very long time now. you know, And I really kind of think that it's going to get to the point where there's too many decks that just want to run it for too many different tangential reasons. So I think it's going to go to eventually. And importantly, this is not like a faithless looting ban, right? Like we're not going to lose decks because we lose bobble. It's sort of just going to nerf some of the power level of some of these decks so that they have to run maybe other artifacts or maybe they do start doing like the tower fire thing and they get taken down a few percentage points and that's probably fine. Yeah. Like I don't think, I don't think the format is going to lose players because Bobble gets banned. Yeah, unless you know they I mean? get mad that they paid $50 a piece for him on Moto, but that's a different problem mm-hmm. that yeah. we didn't even touch on here. All right, so two, this, this one was a two of us ban it, one person not, not ban it. Uh, I think, I think Lura should go first, but then I remember that not all these decks that are you know really powerful right now even run Luris all the time. I can see them both going at the same time. I'm also fine with Luris going before Bobble. So I'm 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 on the side of banning Bobble is not going to hurt the format dramatically, but I can also see just in terms of proper ban philosophy that Luris goes first. Yeah. I think cool. that makes sense too. All right, so we're we're of course we're running light on time, so we're going to go yeah, we're going to go faster we speed through this these up. next I few think cards. We can speed this up. Okay, third. Third on the list, Primeval Titan 15 votes. 
Uh, what? Everyone's everyone's favorite big giant primeval titan. Stan, you 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 have a fondness for this, right? Like, no, you, you I can, don't. You can look. You can you look don't. back. You can look back on your time with Prime Time, and you know, dropping an amulet, and then you know, don't I you don't. all remember the first time that you played against the amulet and you win? Oh my god, like, what, what is going on? <laughs> and then they're like, okay, it's a eighteen sixteen trample haste. Uh, you're yeah. dead. Yeah, that was when I became a Blood Moon fan. Actually, it's like, <laughs> oh, so I'm just gonna play Blood Moon forever. I still remember the first time. So I used to use this uh, online software called Cockatrice, and it was basically like it just was a table that you could load decks onto, and you 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 played with very man. There was no rules engine. It was basically just like playing tabletop online. I I went up against someone playing Amulet Titan, and they were extremely competent (laughs) in the deck, and they played very quickly. And I was like, look. I have no idea if what you're doing is legal. So I'm just relying on you to play it right. And I think that's kind of what we all feel like half the time when we play against someone playing Amulet. It's just like, yeah, I think I know what you're doing. And I don't, I mean, it's a casual game. I don't really want to ask you to slow down and tell me what you're doing. I'm just going to trust that uh, we'll get there. All right. I, I want to lead the section of reasons for banning Amulet because this Please. is something, or banning Primeval Titan rather, because this is something that I feel pretty strongly about. I hate this card. Um, and I think part of it is oh, good. That, I, didn't, I didn't realize we were so aligned here, Stan. Oh, no, I do not like Primeval Titan. And I think for me, a big issue is that it is deceptively hard to interact with in general. Primeval Titan decks, not all, but many can play something like Cavern of Souls to make it difficult for control to interact with it. They can fetch around Blood Moons or play a Dried of the Leasing Grove after a Blood Moon hits the board to basically nerf the Blood Moon effect and actually get value and, and colors off of their land still. Not to mention it can be very tough to kill efficiently with a single spell often, um, just because when it fetches additional lands, not only is it replacing itself with some cards, but it can even fetch lands that then get future Primeval Titans too, and it snowballs really profoundly. So even if you feel like you may have interacted with that first Primeval Titan, you know, if they're able to get uh, Talarian Academy, they can then get way more t- Primeval Titans thereafter. Yeah. Just le- being able to lean on lands is kind of just the fundamental deal breaker of Titan for me in the end, right? Because lands are just a different... I mean, we see this with, with Urza Saga, right? Is that even though it's enchantment type and there's a certain things that can hurt that, like it's just something being a land and being just something you can play under the battlefield once every turn is good enough. But then Titan resolving, getting two lands uh, that you can just tutor up, getting two more every time it attacks is just, it's a really challenging angle and a really super ultra powerful angle. Mm-hmm. It's just sort of like the one card combo of cast Titan. And resolve Titan. You know the biggest thing for me with this card, if we're thinking about reasons to ban it, is that it's just awful to play against from a rules perspective. And I think it's really intimidating to newer players, and I think it's awful to play against in paper where you have to keep track of so many different triggers. I just think it's, um, from that aspect, I think there's a whole gameplay issue with the card that just feels like they're cheating when you're (laughs) playing if you don't really, really know the rules super well especially that like interaction between, you know, like the main interaction of the deck between amulet and bounce 
triggers is our bounce land triggers is just like wait and then you what and then what and then and now you can play how many lands can you play this turn you can play two extra lands like where like, like there's a lot of static effects that you have to keep track of that i think are just so gross with this deck and always makes me feel like i'm being cheated like kind of like what shane mentioned at the, at the beginning but i think it's a pretty serious reason to consider banning a card sometimes for a show this is the first card that we've talked about also that has a history with ban and restricted announcements mm-hmm. it's already led to one ban with summer bloom in 2016 now yeah and and sort of like soft bans around it too right like certain lands that are overpowered with it that you could make the argument were overpowered in other strategies as well. Right. Feel like, of the dead. Uh, Feel of the dead. Yeah. It also yeah. was, was pre-banned before modern. Like don't, don't forget that Valakit was banned at the beginning of modern because primetime and Valakit were in standard together mm. not too long before modern mm-hmm. started and they got rid of it after that. Yeah. We didn't even really talk about Valakit. It's just another land. That sort of that works with it, and it's one of those cards that, like you know, I think we've been talking about in other other ultra powerful cards. Is it just gets better, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's always new good lands. There's the new cards that will work well with lands like Dryad. So it's just like it's it's the, all these cards that kind of contribute towards this lands based package uh, makes Titan better and better over time yeah. because of its unique effect. I think it's just kind of like that's I think a a, a a calling card of some of the cards we're talking about is that they have unique effects that have not been duplicated in other cards. And those effects are very powerful when they have all of support around them. All right, let's go on to the reasons to not ban it. Someone else is going to have to talk about this. I refuse. You refuse to talk about it. All right, I mean, I, I have a few. I've got some too. You go ahead, Shane. Okay. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit false of me to say it's a one card combo because like you do, it does cost six mana and you have to build the rest of your deck and able to support it, um, right? That's kind of a big thing. I mean, you can you can very realistically make the argument that it is weak to land hate, and there is more and more land hate out there. And Blood Moon is a you know a tier of the format. It's always going to be around and always going to be there to check these land based uh, effects and land based decks for sure. I mean, let, let's also be honest. We talked about how no one was going to quit Modern if Bobble got banned. I think it's a little different for Primeval Titan, where yeah, it has exactly. legions of fans that have been around for so long. You know, my buddy Grilled Cheese, patron of the show, has only ever played uh, uh, Titan decks, as far as I know. And I think it's one of those pillars of the format that has a community that if Primeval Titan gets banned, like a lot of people are just sort of without their deck. and might even have to totally start from scratch. Yeah. I also don't think it's that oppressive right now. Like it's still a good deck. Urza's saga certainly gave it a lot of points back that it lost when it lost field of the dead in some ways, you know, it can, it has a different strategy to making alternate threats in addition to something that searches up amulet for it. Um, But I still think that like the way that the metagame is working out right now, it feels more 1.5 than it feels one. And so I kind of feel like, banning titan right now would be a little random but (laughs) yeah yeah i mean i think that's fair right is like but then i mean i'll go back to kind of the case four um is that titan is always up there like it's it's i mean just like you could let's you can make the argument like that was the case with green tron for like our big mana deck but i think that titan has always been busted in a different way 
like the 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 big mana aspect is also a land tutoring aspect, and it's also a six six trampler with that could be in you know eighteen six trampler or something like that. There's a lot of aspects to the the Titan game that that even other big mana decks don't get. Like they don't get Dryad, they don't get Valakit, that kind of stuff. All right, verdict time. Go for it, Dave. I want Stan to go first. <laughs> He's the one who's got the real the real strong feelings about this one is what yeah, I'm picking up. I mean, yeah, it's like I'm going to wear my heart on my sleeve. It's one of my least favorite decks in modern. And this isn't a deck that keeps anything else in check as far as I'm aware. You know what I mean? Like it's not this necessarily necessary evil that helps protect us from, you know, Luris or combo or control. It's just kind of this own broken island that is overrun by big green giants and the fact that it can often beat hate cards without really hampering its own plan. Uh, even though it would lead to a lot of hurt feelings from primeval Titan fans. I don't think that, um, the format is necessarily a better one for it perhaps a more diverse format with primeval Titan, but not a healthier one. The one caveat I'll add there is if we look at the rate at which we see hate cards for colorless big mana, stuff like Tron and Etron. I would rather see Watsy maybe divert a little bit of attention to these other big mana ramp, green ramp, primeval Titan strategies. And I think in that situation, we might find that primeval Titan is a bit more tenable. So ban so and then unban. Okay. So you're, so you're on the ban now is fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the fence. Like I do think of all the big mana decks, like Titan is the most consistent. And I think, like you've mentioned, Stan, like the hardest to sort of hate out directly. Like we, I think we see this, all this land hate and everyone's immediately like, oh, that's going to make Tron worse. That's going to make Tron worse. That's going to make Tron worse. Like very infrequently are people like, that's going to make Titan worse. You know what I mean? Because Titan just has so many angles to do what it's doing. I think that it's probably the most powerful big mana strategy in a vacuum because of that toolbox, because of the combo sort of win. And I'm I'm personally, I think, fine with Titan going, but I don't think it needs to go. I think that's more sentiment. Like it's more sort of just like my my gut is that I'm fine with Titan leaving, but I think that it might be a net loss to the format. But I, I'm I, I would be interested in seeing what six months without Titan looks like, mm-hmm. and then if it's like you know, and then bring then bring it back, you know, if it's like if it's you know not that much changed, or you know, let's just see what it looks like. I'm weirdly gonna use the argument that I kind of hate, which is it, the pillar of the format argument is what it really comes down to for me. You know, we, we Stan, you talked about Bobble as being a a pillar of the format. Th- this is a real one. Right, sure. and so I I think that for me because it doesn't feel like it's dominating right now, I, this would be a pass for me at the moment as well. So sorry, Stan, this card's not getting banned. Oh well. All right. So the next card we're going to talk about it got ten votes, and I'm not going to say what the last one is, but we have a tie for fourth and fifth place. We got two cards with ten votes, and the first one we're going to talk about here is Teferi Time Raveler. What? Teferi Time Raveler. Okay. From War of the Spark. Three mana Teferi. Remember when they added static abilities to Planeswalkers? How'd that turn out for everybody? Poor Bront. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Worth noting, Teferi already banned in three formats, including Standard, Historic, and Pioneer. Yikes. I, I had to look that up last night to confirm that it had been banned in Standard since, you know, we don't really play Standard. But yes... Towards the end of its eligibility, it was banned as well. Mm-hmm. And people really hate this card. 
I think they hate playing against it in a profound way. You know, the way it skews the rule of magic, the rules of magic and the way certain car other cards can be played is very unfun. And I think it uh, maybe even breaks a little bit of a social contract, if you will. When we enter this game, we're trying to play some spells at instant speed and Teferi says, no, no, no. Yeah. Well, it's not even instant speed, too. That's kind of one of the issues is that's kind of like it's most overt, right? Is like you can't do anything at instant speed, but it, 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 you get all sorts of other sort of things you might have forgotten about, like cards that are uh, coming off of suspend mm-hmm. or coming off of a cascade. Mm hmm. Coming off of Spell Queller, mm-hmm. coming yeah. off of that weird card that you, sometimes Teferi was a knowledge pool. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It enables its own little combo. Right. Little combo card. This card was really surprising to me that so many people put it on the list. I mean, I guess it was only 10 people. I mean, it's interesting to note that you know we get down to number four in our list, and it's only 10 out of 69 people. Um, so yeah. it's a much smaller kind of consensus at this point. But I didn't think this card was that much everywhere. But then I took a look at where it was actually getting played in Modern, and it was kind of what's in decks like what's left of Omnath, Scapeshift, Niv, which is sort of a what's left of Omnath deck, regular control decks, Footfalls is playing it, even some Stoneblade decks. So it, it isn't a lot of kind of different decks, a lot more than I thought. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally, this card sucks, right? Like, this card sucks. <laughs> like, it's just like... The, this said like, by someone so, who never plays blue cards ever. I mean, like, but I have I have played this card like in a few different decks, and even decks that I wasn't playing for the show. Like this, some matchups are just like a race to resolve this card. Like some decks rely on this card eliminating their opponent's game plan in some fashion. Like just the the it just sucks. Like it just like why why alter the fabric of Magic in this fashion? I'm so tickled that this is where we're starting because I put that down as my tongue-in-cheek reason for banning this card. I agree, though. And we really lashed onto it. I think we have a whole argument about why this card sucks. Even as I like playing this card sometimes, and I still think it kind of sucks. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay, okay, here's... I think what puts it from it just sucking to being (laughs) over the top is the minus three is actually really better than I think it should be for three mana because it, you can bounce an artifact creature or enchantment, either the opponents or your own. And so frequently you and you get to draw a card. Okay. And so it comes down with four loyalty. It goes down to one loyalty. This can generate value for yourself. It can, uh, it can alter your opponent's game plan. It can be a huge tempo swing uh, for your opponent or you know you bounce like a really good token. Well, just imagine uh, bouncing Murktide if you manage to resolve this against a deck that has Murktide in it. Not that you probably could, but yeah, it, it draws. A, I mean, you can draw a card all by its lonesome. It doesn't. It's just like it's for three mana. It can it can do quite a bit. You know, it's a, it has good synergy. You with stuff like Oath of Nissa type stuff, where it's like, hey, I'm drawing a card. I'm drawing another card. Like I'm digging through my deck. There's just a lot of synergies that Teferi can enable while inhibiting your opponent's strategies, all for the cost of three mana and really easily replacing itself. And so I think that that's just sort of another tick against it. Yeah. The last thing I would say is that for me, the the biggest risk with this card is that it runs cover for non-interactive combos. And that's something that I think really is annoying about this card and comes up as a pro- the most problematic case for it. 
it's not doing it right now. But there's other times where I, I believe that against like Tybalt's trickery, I think that Tybalt's trickery was running this card as a way to keep people from messing with them when they were doing their stuff. It's certainly something that comes up now and again where it's kind of like, well, I'm going to, I want to play a bunch of spells on my turn. So what I'm going to do is make you spend your mana getting rid of my Teferi on your turn so that when it's my turn, either you're tapped out or I have Teferi up. And that is not really great as far as um, making combo decks feel like they have fun gameplay patterns for people playing against them. For sure. Let's talk about reasons against banning it because this yeah. is this is a card I own in paper. I love playing it from time to time and it would really impact me if we banned it. So I'm going to try to defend it a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's a total blank in some matchups, right? Like, I mean, it still draws a card, but that's three mana. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's three it's mana the worst to divination draw a card. Ever. Yeah. yeah. But, but there's other times where it's just like you play it to fairy, you draw a card, and then it sits around and you lose against like prowess, right? And they just like kill you out of nowhere. I think it's really easy to kill, honestly, is another thing that, that I think about this. It's, it's pretty fragile and modern in a way that I don't think it was in any of the other formats. Right, yeah, you ha- it, like it dies to fry, unholy heat, um, a lot <laughs> lava dart. When when they when they minus minus three, it you're just kind of like okay, lava dart, bye. Right, right, easy yeah, to I mean, kill ping, with a it off of, of a the minus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but they still generated value. Is kind of the thing. Like even with that, like you still got a card. You probably got a tempo swing. There was some benefit gained off of that. I mean, for three mana, you should in modern for sure. I mean, one thing that I do like about Teferi is that it can check some of those broken strategies. We talked about Cascade. We talked about uh, Suspend. I think the static there does act as like a, a shield in some ways against those those strategies. Like we, you know, of course, we see tons of Cascade shenanigans going on right now. So Teferi does help against those. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned that that we have good removal that works against Teferi in modern. We also have Force Negation which is allows blue decks who are in the kind of Teferi race to be able to use force to keep it from hitting the board if you know their opponent tries to play it too early. And so it makes it a little bit harder to get the whole thing online when that's always a threat in a, like a control versus control matchup, which you know is a rarity in modern, but still it's, a, it's another tool that's available to another set of uh, decks. A lot of the fair decks that play it too, which is where usually sees play, I think also are sometimes potentially wrong to cast it. And it's not mm. always great in every metagame. And I think for that reason, we sometimes see it waning in numbers. But now that we have things like counterspell in the format and, and control strategies in, strategies in general become more based on the volume of counterspells that you have in a given game, I think sometimes even casting a Teferi is a huge liability especially against linear aggro decks that might be able to kill you on the snapback. The fact that it isn't, you know, winning games on its own and potentially sometimes losing games for the player who casts it, I think is enough to keep it in check in and of itself. That even though playing against it is really unfun sometimes, other people just don't care about interactivity in their strategy. And it might be a little bit of a speed bump, but it's not necessarily shutting down most decks entirely. With the exception of mirror matches, when sure maybe the first control player to to cast a Teferi sort of wins on the spot, but that's the control player's problem, right? Like we're not banning cards because of how they interact in mirror matches typically. Yeah, 
All right, verdict. Final judgment time. I'll go first. Teferi is super annoying, but I, I don't see any way that this card could be warping modern right now. I don't think it's played in enough decks to warrant any kind of action, and I don't think that it um, is being used in a bad way in any of the decks where it is showing up to warrant action. And so I think we have the tools to make it a player and not like ban worthy. And so I would not worry about it. Yeah, I feel like this card could go. But like you said, like the this raw power level is not warping the game around it. I think that the static is like the worst one I could imagine designing that wouldn't have been laughed out of the design room. Like th- this feels like a card that either wasn't tested enough or it got changed late and like wasn't able to be tested because I do feel that while it doesn't warp the metagame around it, it warps the game around it in ways that I think are really sort of not fun and and distasteful in some fashion. Like I, I think the cons outweigh the pros. Like if this card was banned tomorrow, I wouldn't really care, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that I think that it needs to be banned. I think that for three mana, it does what it needs to do to see modern play. But I do think it is a th- fairly thoughtless card in the end. And, and in that sense, I do not like it, but I'd rather see other things go first. Totally agree. You know, obviously my verdict colored by my enjoyment playing this particular card, insanely powerful, annoying to play against sometimes, but in my mind, it's just not quite as egregious as other former control cards, namely Uro and Oko that run away with the game on their own. I think we mentioned this with Primeval Titan. It would feel a little weird to ban this now. I can understand why people would want it gone, but I don't think it really improves the texture of the format so profoundly that we finally get to play decks that don't see play otherwise right now if we were to get rid of Teferi Time Raveler. So we're keeping it. Okay. That might be with the first one that we agreed on. Or do we all agree yeah. on Luris? No, we all agreed yeah. on Luris. So, okay. Yeah. All right. This last one, this is a surprise, right? <laughs> Yeah, also with 10 votes. <laughs> yeah, so this yeah. is this tied with Teferi. Yeah, Ragavan, Nimble, Pilferer. What? Okay. Hold on. Modern Riding Horizons 2. The uh, monkey? <laughs> Wait, people want to ban that monkey? The, 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 to- the token, yeah. Um, but, but I just got a tattoo of him all across my back. I love this monkey. Is it because Pirate Tribal got too good? Yeah, um, they oh. were casting that the, the, the Pirate Mana Leak. Yeah. Got upset. Yeah. Pirate Beak, as as I like to call it. And and also they have Stormwing Chaser. That's become a real staple in Modern, right? So yeah, the most expensive card from Modern Horizons 2, the most expensive card in paper uh, and online. Uh, Perhaps one of the the coolest slash best one drops ever printed. You know, you know what this does. It ramps you, perhaps. It sometimes can draw you some cards. It sometimes has some haste. It's it's a monkey. It's a pirate. What's the problem here? Um, so I don't think any of us is going to say we think this card should be banned. I think that's fair to say that none of us is going to look at a card less than two months old and say, yes, we should ban this card. I think what I want to talk about here is perhaps like how a card like this can that isn't part of a broken combo could be fifth on the list. Like what about Ragavan? Do you think makes people dislike it so much? What does it say about human psychology? Like, what would you put in its place? Like, what is it about Ragavan that you think makes people even so soon hate it so much? 
Probably because it's so expensive, and rather than buying <laughs> it, we just want to get rid of it. Wow, that sounds that's kind of a like an economic argument, like a, a classist argument almost. Yeah. I I do think that this is something that's on people's minds. I'm not gonna lie; like when they look at a card like this, they go, "God, you know, ninety dollars a piece, which is you know what I paid for these, which is not how much they actually go for on TCG." But um, they're 110 on CK right now. They're up to 110 now. Yep. Oh my goodness. Wait. I, yeah, I, I bought them from CK for 89.99. I got mine I for mean, like they, 60. What? No, no offense to CK. There's a delta between TCG and them, right. but still, CK thinks that they can sell it in 110, and I'm sure they are. Yeah. I mean, I pay. So yeah, it's an expensive card. Yeah, expensive. I paid store credit, but you know, are we? We're talking the, the paper card, not not the paper ticks. card. Paper. Yeah. I saw so, it went up to 100 a couple of days ago, and they must be having a hard time holding on to them. Yeah, I mean, isn't that scary? That's a scary thing where it's like, I think one of the reasons is what you're getting at, Stan, is like, this is like the the modern has rotated and I need to spend 400 bucks to keep up. Yeah. yeah. I do think that's what it is. It's kind of like a protest vote here where people are like, I don't want this stuff affecting my format this much, but why is this card so expensive? Uh, I think it's pretty good. Okay. One mana, two, one. Savannah Alliance, one of my favorite early cards. I mean, yeah, who, why perfect. Not? who wouldn't play that in red? <laughs> Jackal Pup, remember Jackal Pup? I remember yeah. Jackal Pup, great yeah. cube card. Kithian, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, let's, let's just keep going. We jest. Uh, I think the real reason is because it's insane on the play, and yeah, that's that's an issue. It just runs away with games when left unchecked, and it also fits into aggro decks. We've seen it in aggro decks. We've seen it in tempo decks now, like we talked about with Blue Red Murktide last week. Uh, Jund was running it. Straight up, Jund, what was essentially Boomer Jund with just Ragavans and Grist, uh, that top top Ford, the challenge this week was running it. This card just shows up in all different kinds of decks. Um, and it I think that's ex- part of ex- the problem. It exacerbates kind of the frustration I think people have with like play draw disparities, where it's like, this is, this is so good on the play. You really have to have an answer early. You have to yeah. mulligan, do a hand with an answer. Um, and to have that on like a turn one risk like that is really significant where it's like, you do feel like you can get buried in mana advantage and potentially card advantage uh, with something like Ragavan uh, facing down. That is an issue. Do you think it's more of an issue with Ragavan than something like monastery swift spear? Yeah, I think Ragavan, Ragavan can do more in a vacuum, right? Like Swiss spear needs everything to go sort of right. Well, but my point here is that similar to Ragavan swift spear is if, unless you don't, unless you can kill it right away, it can sometimes just kill you by turn three or four. And and although Ragavan isn't killing you quite as quickly, it too just generates a lot of value in the early game in particular, if left unchecked. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just so many different things, right? It generates so much value. It's not just a card that is aggressive, so there's not just one line going against you, because there's no scenario where where um, Monastery Swift helps you grind to a victory. But Ragavan can help you get in big hits, play cards earlier on curve, steal your opponent's card so it draws card and then cards and then late in the game it can help you grind by drawing extra cards and maybe getting a little bit of extra mana, things like that. Um it's I can understand why people would be more frustrated with that. Plus on top of it, it's a mythic in a pack that yeah. costs eight dollars a pop or seven dollars a pop or whatever. So you end up with a hundred and ten dollar card that uh f- defines the early phases of games in the format. Yeah. I think like to me, this sort of just feels like sort of a, an, an aspect of revealing of the aspect of human psyche where it's like, we don't like new 
scary things. Like we're we're sort of fine with like the the swimming pool that we're in. Like you know, we know that the sharks are there, but we're fine with that risk, and we're fine with like the sharks that we know. But then like you add in a new variable, and it seems much worse. Like you know, we we just we see that in all sorts of aspects of human psychology, and I think this is just kind of another example of that, where it's like this this new thing messes with the existing thing that was already messed up. <laughs> like there's 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 now a, a really big shark that's that's faster and scarier, and therefore it's like it's even more unnerving to me, or a new monkey in the pool, right? Know? Like the devil we know, Swiss Beer was the devil we know, Ragavan. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say uncharted that's what- territory. Comparing it to Swift Spear, which people were saying was like probably the best creature in, in the format before Modern Horizons 2, is not like a great argument. <laughs> yeah. It's true. But I also think that, like I said, it's not just Swift Spear. Like sometimes it's sort of like Swift Spear, and other times it's sort of like, I don't know, what's a, what's a card that draws you, that gets consistent card advantage every turn? Like Chase the Mind Sculptor? Yeah, maybe sometimes. Yeah, sometimes Ragavan is Jace the Mind Sculptor. Chalk it up. Dave <laughs> Harbarger, 2021. Is your one mana Jace? Let's talk about some reasons not to ban it, right? Because I think there's plenty. <laughs> First and foremost, it's very killable. I would even say that it's easier to kill than Swiss Beer because it's one toughness instead of two. And you're not necessarily running like pump spells in your Ragavan decks the way you are in your Swiss Beer decks. So in so many cases, it can be harder to evade uh, burn-based removal spells just by like triggering prowess. Yeah. Not to mention, it's really easy to block just as well. Like, and, and that makes it quite bad in the late game. You know, if opponent plays a Tarmogoy for any other Chonker and you have a Ragavan on the board, that Ragavan's starting to look pretty, pretty stinky. It's even better when you top deck it, from where you're kind of like, okay, I need I need a fatal push, and then you pull Ragavan, and you're like, cool, thanks yeah. for showing up. And things got to go your way for Ragavan to be good. You actually have to connect, and you know if you're not doing that and it's just sticking around, it doesn't generate value on its own. Um, and part of why it's so good in the early game on the play in particular because it's so much easier to connect in turns two or three. All right. That's it for Ragavan. One last one. It's horrible yeah. in multiples. It's a legend, right? And like yep. Dave mentioned, it's a top deck. It's bad as a top deck if you need an out. It's also a horrible top deck when you have one already. So what's the verdict, guys? We can keep Ragavan for now, right? Just yeah, this one's not even close for me. I mean, there were people calling for it to be banned before that we even had cards in hand. Uh, I don't know. I still don't see it. Stan, same. Shane, same. Yeah, I think that this is this can't go yet. Like, it's just not going to. Like, cards like this need to be made. Like, Watsy has to print cards like this in order to make excitement, in order to give people a reason to open packs. In, but also, I think, to give people a reason for Modern Horizons to exist. Like, if you're not shaking up the format, what's the argument for Modern Horizons? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you can generate a lot of value for stockholders. Yeah, that's a good point. Wizards was so much better before it was owned by Hasbro <laughs> 26 years ago. <laughs> All right. That is our top five, or not our top five. That's the, the five top five voted upon cards to ban out of modern from the Dive Down Nation. I do want to recognize really quickly that the actual third 
most vote getting option. And I know you crossed out the notes on this shame, which means we don't have time to talk about it in depth is that the <laughs> third thing that people actually vote voted for in our survey was nothing. Ban nothing got 16 votes. Heck yeah. What do we think about that? After talking about all this stuff, we don't have to talk about what happens if they ban nothing. How do we feel about the fact that the nation had that as their third option? It's, it just goes to show you we have very level-headed patrons who sort of understand what's best for the game in the long term, and that's just a wait-and-see approach till something is so problematic that you have to pre-board for it in every league or tournament you play. Yeah, yeah. until the challenge is won by someone running two main rest in peace and one main engineered explosives, it's no big deal. Um, and also, our patrons are all good-looking and smart people as well as being mm-hmm. level-headed, right, Stan? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like this one was a totally reasonable option, although you know it did provide a pretty clear line for us when you looked at the ma- at the votes that came in. It was like Luris, Bobble, nothing. It's like okay, well, Bobble and Luris are above the line, and everything else is below that line, and so maybe I think that's kind of how we leave this discussion together as well. When you think about it, is that we mostly had consensus around those cards, and then the rest of it was kind of like maybe not now. Can I propose something for the rest of this episode? Yes. What if we took a quick break and then return for a brief wind down where maybe we talk about what didn't make the cut that perhaps we would have put it on the list or wanted to mention if the survey was informed by the hosts and not the fans? For sure. Sounds good to me. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. So the survey list was quite long. There was a few dozen cards. How many cards did we have on here total? In- including write-ins. Like 20? 25? It looks like 25. Yeah, quite a few. Were there? I was, I was surprised what didn't get on this list, honestly. Like what didn't get voted on. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I'd like to hear about briefly, if possible. Sure. But if we want to take an extra hour, I'm sure the listeners will be okay with it too. I mean, I really do feel, I kind of hinted this before, I feel like if this survey was done like a year ago, we'd have like entirely different answers. And that's ignoring the big February bands of like Field of the Dead, Mystic Sanctuary, Uro, Simeon Spirit Guide, Astrolabe before that. Like there's still a, a bunch of cards that were really on people's short lists, I think. And now people don't care about them or they don't care about them quite as much at all. I think that's funny because I actually think that the top two cards still would have been on the list a year ago, especially oh, sure. Luris. Yes. Luris still would yeah. have been on the list a year ago. But I, th- I think the bottom three, I mean, especially, of course, Ragaman, but... Primetime I mean, would have been maybe on the list time, still. I mean, Teferi yeah, would I mean, have been on the I list. I, I, I think it's maybe actually fourth and fifth. Yeah. Yeah. So what are some of those? What are, what are some of the ones that popped in your minds when we were going, making this list? I have never played against Dredge and saw my opponent dredge a creeping chill and thought to myself, you know what? You did it. Good job. That's a normal card to, to have in your deck. Yeah, I perfectly fair hate card. Creeping chill so much. It's a messed up card. Why does this card exist? I still love when you pointed out, Dave, how like creeping chill could have not worked the way it did. Like they specifically designed it to like work with dredging it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They could have made it not work with Dredge, and it, it's it's really made to work with Dredge. Like they wanted to give Dredge a boost, and maybe do something else in standard. But I, I Stan, I love you hopping in there. If we want to talk about cards that I think at least two of the three of us hate collectively, I think Creeping Chill is 
pretty high on my list. I mean, I think that it's not bannable because I mean, dredge is one of those things where it's kind of in a, in a lull right now, but creeping chill is just a major force to dredge. And like, if you want to eliminate dredge from the format, then yeah, you get rid of creeping chill, like just fully eliminate it. I think creeping chill is the only thing really keeping that deck playable at this point. You really think that? Oh yeah. It was good before creeping chill existed. Well, it's also very different modern. It's been a couple of years since, since this card has existed. So that's true. Yeah, it's just toast. It's a toast deck right now, which is kind of depressing, but you know, we had our fun. What would you put on? What's your number one, Dave, that you would put on this list? It's not my number one because I don't like the card, but it's my number one because I'm suspicious of the card. And I've talked about it a couple times tonight in passing, but that card is Manamorphos. Oh, yeah. I think is another card that I'm just convinced that it's little hourglass is running out as we sit here now. It's not as ubiquitous as bauble right now, but it's had moments where it has been as ubiquitous. Um, I think these pass through cards are just going to get there eventually. And they're going to get banned because they do things that I think ultimately don't make great magic experiences really. But they, they, as Patrick uh, Sullivan said, they subsidize the gun, a bunch of the like middling cards that I love to play. So I'm happy to have, Manamorphos around for a while it is. And I think I've played Manamorphos decks most of the time that I've been a modern player at this point. And uh, I love it. I'm going to keep it going. Isn't it interesting that Morphos, perhaps because of the colors you have to spend to cast it, isn't quite as ubiquitous as Mitra's Bobble, considering that it's just ultimately a free card that you can use to double spell? Is it yeah. really just because it's the red-green hybrid it doesn't see more play? Well, and it replaces itself. Oh, yeah. Why well, it doesn't see more play? Yeah. I mean, I don't it's think part so. It's like a prowess thing. I think rather it's than an artifact thing. I think it's just a, the metagame right now. Like, it's just there are going to be different types of decks that are popular where Manamorphos is going to be the more popular option as a pass, as a card to make your deck into a 56 card deck instead of a 60 card deck. And that yeah. that's just the moment we're in in the metagame right now. There were points in time a couple of years ago, remember, where like Traverse. You know, Traverse Shadow was running a couple of Manamorphos, and like, I think that there were points in time where Mardu, uh, uh, Mardu Pyromancer was running Manamorphos in there as like a pass through mana fix and draw card kind of thing to make a token. Like, there are just moments where this card is like a little too good, and I think eventually it's going to get to the point where it's a lot too good. Yeah. I mean, I think another one that would be on a lot of people's lists if Prowess wasn't kind of on the downswing would be something like Lava Dart. Like, this isn't, like, in my top five, but maybe six months ago it would have been, right? Like, it's just, it's it's so silly to think about Lava Dart. Like, this 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 spell somehow good enough to get banned out of Modern. Free spells, man. Free spells, yeah. and especially free spells that can kill something, can have a real effect that translate into a card are um you know they're powerful for sure um did we ever see lava dart we did not see lava dart with a faithless looting powered phoenix did we oh yeah there was no there was an overlap there? yeah, yeah Mono Mono phoenix. Yep. that sounds great it was shane is lava dart your contribution to this oh no no i mean that's i mean i'm just i mean all the cards that i would pick are we've talked about right i, I do think it's interesting like let's say this kind of goes back to like my year ago argument like Urza's, Urza's Tower, I feel like would definitely have been on the list, right? Like just like sort of standing in for like a Tron, the Tron, Green Tron. Like it's it's finally suffering enough when compared to the other decks in Modern, and like so people are kind of like saying, well, Titan should go, but I think like Urza's Tower would definitely have 
had a fighting chance to be in the top five. And it just sort of like shows the fluctuation of the metagame and some some of our, you know, Dredge for Creeping Chill, Urza's Tower for uh, Green Tron. Those are both things that are not on the list because of just the relative power level of these decks right now. Wow. Veil of Summer, which is, <laughs> that's I love that card because I love casting it against Blue Mages. You know, anything that makes Blue Mages cry a little bit, I'm fine with. Wow. My one mana cryptic. I can't get over Shane suggesting Urza's Tower after all the... The trouble you went through it. buying Russian cards from Sergei. <laughs> or I mean, I'm just saying it would have been. Well, this was fun. It was fun to speculate. Try to provide some thoughtful conversation around the ban discussion that feels almost as ubiquitous as Mishra's Bobble. In Magic. Dothy Voidwalker. That's the next one. To get on the ban list? No, it's not actually, Dave. All right. We need, to, we need to end we the show before, before Shane really says something he can't take back. Ancient stirrings. We need to get out of here before before we start talking about unbanning cards, and maybe that should be a lantern of insight sometime in the future. But oh yeah, unban everything and then just start cleaning up the mess. Yeah, cavern of souls. God, Shane. (laughs) Someone cut his mic because that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episode as soon as it comes out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or just reach out in general, you can tweet us at the dive down, all one word, email the dive down and gmail.com. Let us know the decks you're doing well with in modern or historic or elsewhere. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon over at patreon.com slash the dive down. Thanks again, everyone who's been supporting us lately and working us toward that deck box stretch goal. Also shout out to mana traders for sponsoring the dive down. You can sign up for a Mana Traders account using promo code THEDIVEDOWN2021, all one word, and get 15% off your first two months of renting Magic Online cards. That code again is THEDIVEDOWN2021. 2021 is numerical. It's not spelled out to make it a little easier for you. It might work if you spell it out, actually. Do we know? I don't think it does. Let's not. Don't test it. Yeah. Don't test it. As always, special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceload for letting us use their music. And until next week. Get out there and ban more cars!